Praise the Lord, everybody. Feel bad for you if you had to come to Mattoon. There's nothing there. Well, is anybody happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Are you happy? Are you glad? Amen. What a wonderful spirit we felt here this morning. Really feel the Holy Ghost here. I'm thankful for that. Back to school, man. Best day of my life was my last day of high school. Man, I didn't like it. I don't. I feel bad for you kids. I was short and weird and awkward, and I just couldn't wait to get out of there. And, uh, but you all have an opportunity to reach somebody, to touch somebody, because once you're out of it, you can have a little bit of regret, and uh, you realize some opportunities that you'll miss. But nonetheless, I'm going to preach to you here this morning. Do my very best. I don't necessarily know what your expectation of me here this morning is, but I'm just going to do my best. So is that okay? Amen. Amen. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 13, verse number 14. <clears throat> While you're there, I want to give honor to your pastor and first lady, just some of the most tremendous people in all of Pentecost. Do you love your pastors this morning? They are just... They are just some of the best, and but the Gaddy, I honor you and First Lady Gaddy for just being pillars of the apostolic movement and uh, a haven for apostolic ministry. Give honor to Pastor Nate and his family. Thankful for them, and uh, Pastor Jace, he's okay, so we're thankful for him. Just kidding. Love him very much. One of my dear friends, and all all the rest of the ministry that I haven't had a chance to become acquainted with. I give you all honor. I'm sorry I haven't had a chance to meet any of you yet. Um, but, and I, I want to honor, honor the bride here today, the body of Christ. Thank you for giving up your Sunday morning to come here, preacher. If this is your first time, come back next week. It'll be a little better, I promise. But uh, 2 Kings chapter 13, verse number 14. I don't know if it's up there or not. Turn in your Bibles. Most of you will recognize this scripture. <clears throat> and so... We'll just see where God takes us. 2 Kings 13, verse number 14 says, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him, wept over his face, and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it, and Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek, till thou have consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground, and he smote thrice, and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, and he said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times, then hast thou smitten Syria, so thou hast consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And Elisha died, and they buried him. And the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. Then I want you to turn over in your Bibles to the New Testament, James chapter 2, verse number 17. It says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. 
Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? It is going to take us all here today. Students, it's going to take all of you. When you go into your schools, there's not one person that can carry the burden, carry the weight. Each and every one of you have a part to play. And I know how sometimes these back-to-school rallies, I've done a few of them over the years, I know how it can go sometimes that uh, the parents, some of the elders have a tendency to sit back and watch and wait around, and that's okay. But I want to tell and speak to those that there's nothing more intimidating and discouraging for the youth and the students to feel the call of God on their lives and feel the need to participate in service and to turn around and see mom and dad, their elders, with their hands crossed on their phone, just waiting around. So I'm wondering if we could all come together here today. Can you help me do that, New Life? Would that be okay? Amen. I want to preach to you on this title this morning, When Pastor Isn't There. When Pastor Isn't There. I want you to put your Bibles down. I want you to throw your hands up into the air one more time and just begin to proclaim that the King of kings and Lord of lords is worthy to be praised. Come on, everybody. I want you to lift your voice right now. God, we submit our will to your perfect will here this morning, Jesus. God, everything that you want of us Lord, we want it to be done here today, Jesus. God, we're asking for your sweet spirit to continue to be with us. Lord, for your will to be done here today. God, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you, God, for everything that you've given us in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Before you're seated, look at your neighbor and say, Neighbor, you look good this morning. Amen. You may be seated. The Man in the Arena is a 140-word excerpt from a longer speech titled Citizenship in a Republic. This excerpt was addressed to the University of Paris in 1910 by Theodore Roosevelt, where the entire oration was well over 8,700 words long and would have taken its writer, Theodore Roosevelt, about 30 minutes to read aloud. Yet it is this small portion that has stood out over the years. It has consistently been a go-to source for those needing a dose of inspiration, and it goes like this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again, and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms and great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement? And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. You must understand that France was the only republic of Europe at the time, 
Most other nations uh, were led by one or few rulers. Roosevelt pointed out that for a non-republic to succeed, their rulers needed to be one of great character. They needed to be able to complete the mission. He believed that a republic's success hinges on the quality of the citizens that made it up. One, in the everyday matters of life, and two, when called to serve their country. Out of context, it is easy to see why this has so frequently been quoted by top athletes and world leaders over the years. But as we have ventured in, through this contextual ramp up, we can see the, that this excerpt a little, through a little different lens this morning. Roosevelt was not speaking to a crowd of young and old, rich and poor Americans. He was addressing an upper echelon of society who spoke against the temptation of being too intellectual and too proper to go to war. He spoke against those who were interested in sitting back and observing, addressing a society that had never known what it takes to fight for a cause. Roosevelt understood that for a body to come together and spend themselves in a worthy cause, it takes us all. Come on, anybody else in here feel like having a little bit of a move of God? I'm telling somebody, you can't just rely on the one or the two. You can't just rely on your pastor and the staff. Sometimes you got to be willing to stand to your feet and say, I will be a part. I will do what, come on. Is it okay to preach in here this morning, Brother Jace? I'm telling you, you've got to get something in your spirit that says I can't sit around any longer. I can't wait around like everybody else. I've got to be willing to go into my school. I've got to be willing. Come on, I think you ought to touch your neighbor and say I'm going to be a part. Come on, look at your other neighbor and say I'm going to be a part. Hallelujah. Is this okay, Pastor Gaddy? Is it okay to get excited in the house of God? It is possible for the man of God to fall sick. It is and not necessarily physically, but sickness in the sense that they are not able to carry all of the weight that maybe they once were. They maybe don't have all of the time needed to reach every single little area or reach every person in your community. It is possible that the man of God would need to partner with a few folks in the body of Christ. And this is where Elisha is at. He has the sickness with where he will die and there is deliverance needed in the kingdom. Now historians tell us that Elisha would have been around the age of 80 years old and without a true successor in line. He just couldn't fight the fights and the battles that he once was able to. It is clear to me in Scripture that the basic theme or the language of the Word of God is more action-based than it is knowledge-based. We have it mixed around because in this day and age that we live in, today's society just seems to lift up the intellect and downgrade the worshiper. It seems to credit the smooth tongue and discredit the intercessor. It seems to exalt the one that has all of the answers and tears down the one who continues to show up when things just aren't really going their way. I want to preach to you today. Do not ever lose the ability to worship and praise and pray like that book tells us to. 
Come on, I'm all about education, young people. But I'm telling you, sometimes you got to be willing to reach your people by getting in a prayer room. Sometimes you got to be willing to wake up before your footsteps on that school bus and begin to intercede. God, lead me. God, shake me. Put somebody in my heart. Put somebody in my mind where I can reach them. We see all over scripture the Hebrew word yada, which means to know. This word yada would also be translated in English as to hear. So for instance, the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, could also be translated as know, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And in our mind, to hear or to know would translate as our mental grasp of the facts. But the Hebrew idea of Yadah stresses knowing from experience and relationship and acting upon that knowledge that you have obtained. That's why James said you are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. It is not enough this morning just to come into a church building and enjoy the music and enjoy the preaching and enjoy your kid being prayed for. Sometimes you've got to put action with the revelation that God's put in your heart. Sometimes you've got to put a dance with those things. When God begins to fill you, and God begins to speak to you sometimes you gotta stand to your feet and throw your hands up come on I wish I had somebody that would stand to their feet right now and say God I'm gonna put a little action with what God's doing in this morning come on some of you need to put a little action with what God's been speaking to you about Come on, some of you are worried about looking cute this morning. Some of you are worried about what's going to happen later on in the day. But I'm telling you, God's trying to speak to somebody. And you got to put action with it. Cup your hands in this. And so what happens when... The man of God is not there or is too weak to guide your actions. What happens when your youth pastor isn't there to teach your P7 club? What happens when your youth pastor isn't there to, to begin to teach the Bible study because he's got other Bible studies to teach and it's on you? What happens? Because Joash, this king of Israel, getting back to my text, was a man who had outwardly worshipped God, but he had allowed and tolerated golden calves to be worshipped in his kingdom. His relationship with God was service level. It was only as deep as the opinion of his people allowed it to be. Sure, Joash was happy to serve God, but he would never drive out idols because it could affect his status amongst the people. Trust me, I've been to public school. I know what it's like for everybody to see that you dress different. For everybody to see why you don't participate in certain uh, extracurricular activities or, or, or whatever guidelines your pastor has asked you to do. I know what it's like to be intimidated walking into your school. Been there, done that. I, I, if I can just be honest here, Brother Jace, I don't really feel sorry for the apostolic movement because you have, we have something that nobody else has. 
And so for us to have this victim mentality of poor me, why me? Why do I have to be different? Why do I have to dress different? Why do I have to act different? I don't really have much sympathy for it, I'll be honest with you, because you are a child of God. And when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, God gave you power that nothing else can contend with. Because greater is he that is in you, young people, than he that is in the world. Some of you need to start acting like you've got it. Some of you need to start... Some of you need to start walking in the dominion power that God gave you. And so you have King Joash. There's deliverance needed in the kingdom. There's deliverance needed at his school. And he runs to Elisha looking for help on how to defeat the Syrians. And the first thing that he does is he falls on his knees and begins to cry before Elisha. And he makes a very peculiar statement, Brother Gaddy. He says... Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And when I read this, it struck a chord in me because I had recognized this from somewhere else. In 2 Kings chapter 2, Elisha, when he's standing there getting ready to receive the mantle of the double portion from Elijah, he says the exact same thing. Joash directly quotes 2 Kings chapter 2 to the man that said it in Elisha. Joash wanted the power and the anointing that of the mantle from Elisha without any of the sacrifice because he knew that he could walk to Elisha and say the right things and say the things that he knows that he was to say. He, he, he knew how to clap on beat. He knew how to show up to church on time. And sometimes we think that that qualifies us to walk in authority like God wants us to. But I'm telling you, for some of you, some of the things that you're wanting to see come to pass in your school, some of the Holy Ghost that you're wanting to walk in is going to require a little more than you think. It's going to require a little more prayer time. It's going to require learning how to push away the plate. It's going to require worshiping when nobody else will worship. We become professional apostolics. We know the protocols. We know the agendas. We know the service order. But when was the last time that Pastor Gaddy had to tell you to sit down? When was the last time that Pastor Gaddy had to say, everybody calm down. There's a word that needs to go forth. Come on, somebody. When was the last time that you lost control? When was the last time that somebody couldn't get you? Well, there's a special kind of anointing, and some of you, I guess, may never understand it, but there's a special kind of anointing that is obtained only through true sacrifice. Putting away your flesh, putting away the things that may become a little easy to you. I think that the temptation of Jesus Christ when the devil tempts him coming out of the wilderness is an interesting topic to study because the devil gives Jesus options. The devil lays out a plan for him of what he could have if he would just bow himself before him. I feel like telling some of you young people that are fixing to go back to school that the devil has given some of you options and opportunities outside of the kingdom. He's allowed some of you to excel in some areas so that you can put your prayer life and the things of God on the back burner. Before the temptation from the devil, we, we really, we know very little about Jesus. He is the carpenter of Nazareth, the son of Mary, and it is illustrated 
that he has a very simple life uh, in which the most ordinary things are significant. His identity is obscure, and he almost slips under the radar. We really don't know a whole lot about Jesus uh, predating this temptation. But it is after Jesus comes out of the temptation and rejects that temptation from the devil that he lays a bold and unapologetic claim to being the Messiah, the I am, the one to fulfill the law. And what happened to Jesus must happen to us when God calls us and we make up in our mind that this world has nothing for us. We must come out boldly, unapologetic. Let everybody know that we are his children. Sometimes you got to make up in your mind that I'm not going to try and hide who I am. I'm not going to try and balance church and what this world has to offer. Sometimes you've got to make up in your mind that I'm going to be what God has called me to be. Regardless of what my classmates may say about me. Regardless of how they think I go. Regardless of how they think I'm going to act. Come on. Some of you need to realize, young man, that that lady ain't worth it. Young lady, sometimes you've got to make up in your mind that that young man at school ain't worth it. Being a part of that sports team that's keeping you from youth service ain't worth it. You ain't hearing me. Some of you parents ought to be worshiping with me more than anybody. I'm telling you, you can let your kid walk into this world and be struggle with the temptations of the everydayness of life. Some of you parents should be making up in your mind that my kid will not act like that. They will not be a part. But this is where I want them, in the house of God, under the subjection of my pastor. Come on, I wish I had a few parents that would be willing to step up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on, if I've got to show my kids how to worship, I'll do it. If I've got to show them how to pray, I'll do it. If I've got to fast with them, I'll do it. And herein lies the issue with circumstantial relationship. Is this okay? I don't know what time I'm supposed to be done. That's my least favorite answer. Because everybody knows what time I'm supposed to be done. And you say, oh, just do whatever you want. And then I do whatever I want. And then everybody's mad at me afterwards. <laughs> and the church said amen. You all know I'm a pastor's kid. Let me tell you something. I'm fifth generation Pentecost. I know when the clock turns 1120 in Matu. Come on, I don't need all the self-righteous people in here. We know. Come on, man. Well, I got you. Here we go. Only 45 minutes left. You asked for it. Herein lies the issue with circumstantial relationship. This is the issue. When our relationship and the extent of it with Jesus Christ is only when you have something on the line. When your relationship with Jesus Christ is only and it is predicated based upon the sickness in your body, whether your marriage is okay or not okay, whether your bank account is running empty. Pastor, you ever know those people that the only time you hear from them is when they're in trouble? You don't have to agree. It's okay. I'll say it. This is Joash. He wants no relationship with Elisha, and yet when there's deliverance needed in his life, all of a sudden he's crying and weeping at his feet. And I am thankful for those that know where to run. I'm thankful for those that when you are in trouble, yes, you do need to run to this place. But I'm telling you, you could have so much more power if you would learn to do it before crisis hits. 
And so Joash, he, we know the story, shoots the arrow east and he strikes the ground three times rather than five or six. And sure, God was willing to give Israel victory three times over the Syrians, but there was not enough victory in the land to consume them altogether, to totally drive out the sin that was plaguing their land. There are moments in time, like this morning, for instance, there are t moments and times where, where you do have enough Holy Ghost and where you are committed enough and God does show you grace and mercy in that regard and he'll allow you to witness to somebody and he'll allow you to get that Bible study started. He may even touch your body once or twice. He may even put your marriage back together a few times. He may even send you a check that you weren't expecting every once in a while, but there could be a day where God says you've not totally committed like I wanted. Some of you have been looking for God to speak to you, but it is hard for him to do so because the only times that you reach for him are in times of crisis. I'll tell you what. I love music. I love to play. I can't sing, but I love singing. I think that things like that are great, but at the end of the day, I want relationship with him more than anything else. Jesus loves you enough to just take you through absolute hell if that means relationship. <clears throat> the sad thing to me, Pastor, is that even the hands of the king, Joash was to be a man of war. He was this king of Israel. He was to know how to lead. He was, the example had been David. He, he was supposed to know how, how to go and fight and lead an army, but yet I thought it was fitting that Elisha had to show him how to grab a bow and arrow. His hands had never known war. Never known what it took to fight in the kingdom. So Elisha, he guides the king's hands onto the bow and arrow. And when the time comes for him to shoot the arrow eastward and strike the ground, Elisha had to remove his hands. That breaks my heart this morning. Because as much as your pastor and your youth pastor and all the ministry team would love to guide you into heaven, there comes a moment in time where they've got to remove their hands and say, you've got to learn to do it for yourself. There are times, new life, that God has to remove his hands and ask the question, how bad do you want him? How many times will an apostolic church have to be pushed and prodded to be better? How many times, young people, will you have to be pushed and begged to start that club, to teach that Bible study, to... Get over the fear that has overcome you with what happens if I reach out to my classmates and they say no. How many times will it take before eventually you're out of school and no longer you have the opportunities to reach somebody? Can you get a hold of, the, of God when the weight of the kingdom is totally on you? Can you get a hold of him when your youth pastor is not around and all of a sudden they start asking you why you believe what you believe and <clears throat> I know we've kind of slowed down here and I guess I'll take a piano player. I guess this is the moment where we do that. But young people fight as a young, I'm a young man, I'm 26 years old. I don't have all the experience in this life like your pastor does. But if there's one thing that I've tried to do in this life, it is to look past the temporal and into the eternal. It is to look past what is going on in the here and now and trying to see what, you know, because I think that that is the, that's the wisdom of David even as a young man because David was able to operate in foresight rather than hindsight, Pastor. 
And so many times, and I, I would assume that everybody, under the sound of my voice, could agree with this. We operate so much in hindsight, when, especially after we come out of a battle, or especially after we come out of, out of the trials of life. We say, my God, I wish I would have just trusted him more. Why did I worry about that? Why was I fearful? Why did I not allow God to just totally take over? Because we are used to operating in hindsight. But the wisdom of David, even as a young man, is that he was able to walk onto the battlefield when facing a giant and say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. David was able to operate in foresight, looking beyond the here and the now, looking at what has God called me to be, what has God given me the power to be. And when you begin to operate in foresight, Rather than hindsight, it gives you insight into the things of the Spirit. I'm telling you, young people, you may seem, you may look, and it may seem like the numbers are stacked against you in your school. But I'm telling you, there is a giant in the prince of your city, the prince of your school, that is trying to keep this body of Christ down. God has already given you the victory over, but all it takes is stepping out and saying, I can do it. You know... I hate it how much young people qualify and disqualify themselves in the kingdom. I hate it. I can't stand it. I hate it that the need is that, well, once I get to be in my mid-20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s, then I can do a work of God. Shame on you for believing that. Regardless, and here's the other side of that. Some of you here today may not have been the perfect saints of God. Regardless of everything that Joash had done, worshiping these false idols, allowing turmoil throughout the kingdom, all the uh, idols that he allowed in his life, all the bad decisions, God still give, gave him a chance to save his people. God still gave him a chance to be exactly what God had called him to be. Do you know that Joash's name means one who God has given? God has given you to reach somebody. God has given each and every one of you young people to reach somebody that your staff cannot reach. My grandfather says it all the time. He'll say, Nixon, you're the, you're the only Bible that some people will ever read. What are you going to do with it? Young people, you may not have an opportunity. You may not have a chance to teach somebody a Bible study. And look, I'm certainly not expecting any of you to walk into your school on the first day of school and take a lap speaking in tongues. Not expecting that. But what you can do is show everybody that you are unashamed of the way that you live. You can show everybody, I, I will not apologize for having to miss some of the extracurricular activities because God's calling me to the prayer room. The power that you have as the individual, one of the best things that you can do is take personal responsibility and the power that the individual has. Yes, you're powerful as the body, but you yourself, one man in Elisha. The Bible says that when he died, the Moabites then invaded the land. One man had the power to keep back the thing that was going to destroy Israel. You have the opportunity this morning. Joash could have been the one to take up the burden, to fight for the cause, to be the man in the arena that keeps your school from being destroyed, plagued with sin. So I'm wondering if we'd stand all over this place.
And Pastor Gaddy, I, I don't know what you're expecting here. And if I'm doing something wrong, you come and take it and kick me out of the way. But again, I want every student to come and line up in this place. Just come down to the front. It's okay. And I want you parents, I want you to fill in behind them. I want you to spread out here, okay? I want you to spread out, kids. Come on, let's spread out a little bit. Skew down a little bit. And if you don't have a kid here, but you feel the, the weight and the responsibility of some of these kids, God's put some of these kids going into this school year on your heart, I want you to come find them as well. And then if you don't feel responsible for anybody, any of these kids, I want to ask you to go ahead and begin to fill in. I think there's power in getting out of your pew. It doesn't mean that you're joining the church or anything crazy is fixing to happen to you. But this is just a place of sacrifice. This is the altar where we submit our lives to him and we say, God, whatever you want to do. Any of you young people need the Holy Ghost? If you need the Holy Ghost, I want you to raise your hand. I need the Holy Ghost. One, two, a couple of them. Awesome. If you need the Holy Ghost, God will fill you with the Holy Ghost this morning. Young people, students, here's what I want you to do. When you lift your hands and when you throw them up to the air, this is a sign of surrenderance. This is saying, God, I, I submit who I am to you. This is the ultimate sign of surrenderance. If you were in battle and they say, throw your hands up. You've heard a cop say that. Put, put your hands up. Put them where I can see them. This is the sign of surrenderance to God, saying, God, whatever you want with me, you can do it. Whatever you want with me this school year, you can do it. And so that's what we're going to do. The next thing that I want us to do is we're going to close our eyes because sometimes you can be a little concerned about what other people are thinking or who's looking at you. And there's real power in just intimacy with Jesus. And the last thing that I'm going to ask you to do is I want you just to begin to tell Jesus how much you love him. The Bible says, Jesus tells us, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Love is an action. It's not just saying it, but it's telling him with action that you love him. And you may not know everything to say this morning, and you may not know what's going to come over you, what God's going to put in your spirit. But parents, I'm going to need your help praying for some of these people because if you don't think that your school is a battleground, or maybe a little naive to that, so students, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, everyone, everybody lift both their hands up. Come on. I want everybody to close their eyes. Come on, I don't want anybody looking at me. I don't want anybody looking at their parents. I want anybody looking around. And I just want you to begin to tell Jesus how much you love him. Jesus, I love you. Come on, young people. I want you to find an intimate place with Jesus right now. Where you just begin to tell Jesus how much you love him. Come on, nobody looking around right now. I just want you to begin to find a place with Jesus. And parents, I want you to begin to intercede on the behalf of these kids. Come on, I want you to begin to lift your voice. And I'm, I'm beginning to feel a stirring in the Holy Ghost. Where if you feel to lift your voice, you can begin to do that right now where God's going to begin to deal with some of you and say, come on, what I've done every other school year is not enough. 
what I've done every other school year has not been enough today I am recommitting some things to him today I'm taking another step today I am going a little bit further come on somebody parents I need you to begin to intercede on behalf of these students and students I want you if you know how to speak in tongues now is a good time to do it I want you to begin to intercede for the people that you're going to be rubbing shoulders with every day I want you to begin to intercede for the things of God that are going to begin to take place. Come on. I'm believing right now. I see some things in the spirit where some Bible studies are going to begin to take place. You're going to begin to have some opportunities to pray with some people in your, in your uh, cafeteria where God's going to begin to use you like you never thought possible as they get ready to sing. God's going to begin to pour out His Spirit in this place and lay a boldness on each and every one of you and lay a boldness and power and authority on each and every one of you to take dominion power over your schools right now as they begin to sing in the name of Jesus.